I'm Michael McMullen. And I'm John Mark Yates. Welcome to This Week in Church History. Welcome to This Week in Church History. Of all the weeks that uh, we had a pretty normal uh, type of conversation that we ought to have, like prescribed for us, it would be this one. I'm joined, of course, with Dr. Michael McMullen, uh, my colleague here at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And this week in church history, how do we not, in our first year of the program, talk about Martin Luther and his nailing of the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel? And especially all the more that here we are in the middle of COVID and there was Luther in the middle of the Black Death. Oh, not, now you go bringing pandemics into it. I don't... Well, I mean... He, he was dealing with similar things that we deal with. <laughs> oh, that's what we're saying. Okay. Well, definitely this week as we, uh, we talk about this, let, let's do figure out what is going on on that day and time as Luther nails these 95 theses to, to the door of the church. Now, for some of our listeners maybe who, who aren't real familiar with this story, can you sketch it for us, Dr. McMullen, just, just so that people understand the, the basic contours of what's going on that would lead Luther to put up a piece of paper on the door of a church? He, he's, a, he's a pastor. He's a professor of theology in Wittenberg, and he's begun to read the scriptures, which was unusual even for a professor of theology. And he's reading and teaching on books from the Bible from the original languages. And as he does this, he recognizes very clearly that what he's been believing and teaching along with the rest of the hierarchy of the Catholic Church actually isn't in the Bible. And of course, that's a big shock. And, and what Luther wants to do is to make people aware of these discrepancies and to debate and discuss these new things that he's discovered, basically a, a gospel by faith in Christ. So as he's wanting to do this, and he's, he's obviously facing unbelievable cultural uh, pressures and, and things, everything from a, a pandemic to um, abuses that he's seeing that affect the people that he pastors. So this is all arising out of a shepherd's heart. He's he's really concerned about uh, the people in his city. He's concerned about his students. He's he's concerned. So he drafts this document, and it's the it's the thing that many people point to as launching the the Protestant Reformation. But how incendiary was the document? Well, Luther was nothing if not naive. He believed that fellow priests and the hierarchy of the church and the papacy obviously couldn't be aware of what it was that he discovered. Otherwise, they wouldn't be holding to um, ideas and practices that are simply not scriptural. So he tries to make his superiors um, aware of what it is dis he's discovered, and uh, he becomes a problem. Uh, he posts these points for debate, and it makes him more of a problem. He overnight basically turns off a, a spigot of uh, a massive financial income to the Catholic Church through 
a, a very unscriptural practice of indulgences. So let's break that down because what you said is actually loaded with a lot of uh, concepts here. So let's let's work from that. So when you talk about indulgences, I mean, I like to indulge in some sweets every once in a while and, and, some, and chocolate cake and, chocolate cake and, and pie and uh, yeah, we could reminisce about those things. But uh, when we talk about indulgences, that's not what we're talking about. What is an indulgence that Luther doesn't like? The, the Catholic Church uh, taught that um, there is a, a temporal penalty for sin, that yes, the, the blood of Christ uh, through the vehicles of grace, uh, the sacraments of the church, uh, you would be forgiven. But the, the temporal penalties you needed to have dealt with in a place of purging. Uh, any unconfessed sin and any temporal penalties are dealt with in purgatory. And, and so what the church taught was it could give you for a price as part of the sacrament of penance um, a, a, a get-out-of-purgatory-free card, an indulgence, a, a check from the papacy basically carrying his authority that you go straight to heaven. And I, I would need one of those. I think uh, that could maybe be a good bargain, right? Um, uh, that's, of course, it's what it was a massive guilt trip yeah. for the average ca- Catholic, and and uh, many fell for what was basically a, a way to provide massive funding for the church, especially as they built Saint Peter's. Well, and this is what one of the 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 theses uh, theses that that Luther puts forward actually even states is. Is that this appeal? If the if the Pope even knew about how much people were extorting these indulgences from the people, he would be aghast. So, and this goes to another one of your points, right? That that the Pope didn't know what was happening on the ground level, and all the way through the ninety five theses, as Luther writes this out, he he keeps letting the Pope off the hook for uh, indulgences and in, in what's happening on the ground level. Except at one point, he um, challenges the Pope that if he really does have the authority to let people out of purgatory, why do it at a price? Mm -hmm. Why not let everyone out to go to heaven? And of course, that's the the big um, question and and the the kind of smoking gun that Luther provided that it, it wasn't true. It wasn't scriptural. It, it really was a guilt trip. You paid for yourself. You paid for your friends. You paid for your relatives uh, with a, a worthless piece of paper. And one of the individuals who was traveling around that time was Tetzel, who uh, Luther just absolutely could not stand uh, in terms of how he was guilting individuals uh, into uh, into this purchase of indulgences. His his methods were crooked and. And he would put unbelievable pressure on individuals. Remember um, traveling into Germany uh, a few years back, and it's it's crazy even being able to see in in certain museums or other places even some of the uh, purgatory boxes or indulgence boxes. There were these lock boxes that are quite large, uh, built kind of like a, a safe you might think of uh, that people would be able to put their money in so that they could get these documents. Uh, it, that's how much people were really investing in these things. Yeah, of course, so many people at this time, they are peasants. They trust what the church says. And this is what really angered Luther, that 
nothing like this was going to help any of them. It, it simply made them poorer. And, and the gospel in the scriptures was free and available to all. And he believed that men like Tetzel were hiding the gospel behind these inventions of men. And, and it, it's part of why Luther, uh, I think, retained his kind of earthly uh, or earthy language that um, he would criticize Tetzel and the papacy um, in, in language that we might be reluctant to uh, use today, <laughs> let's say. Yeah, because if you look at the, uh, the, the theses uh, overall, and, and you can find them easily in, in translation on, uh, on the internet, but as you read through, he starts off rather broad and, and rather magnanimous almost of sort uh, in terms of just inviting a good academic debate. How, how can we have a conversation about these kinds of things? But you could almost imagine as you read through all of them, they get more and more pointed as you get towards the end. He may have stayed up a little too late, had a little too much coffee or some other substance, and kept writing and got more and more frustrated as he's writing. Uh, yeah, he should have stopped, maybe. But uh, he'd already produced a list uh, and 97 theses that really, uh, only the previous month, that certainly didn't have the impact of the 95. He'd honed them down. Um, they were much more scripturally based. I think they became more critical. Uh, they're more anchored to the scripture themselves. And, um, you know, Luther didn't post them by accident on the day that he did. Now, of course, there is a question whether he actually did post them at all. Uh, only Melanchthon actually says that he did nail them to the doors. Melanchthon wasn't even there. Uh, he was 60 miles away at the time, and he didn't say it till after Luther's death. So it might have more to do with legend than truth. And um, they were probably hung on the doors, but maybe not hammered in by Luther in a kind of Hollywood style. But Luther posts them the day before All Saints Day, when there are going to be thousands of, of Catholic pilgrims there in Wittenberg to see Frederick's amazing collection of relics, yeah. again, for time off purgatory. That's right. They were coming there. <laughs> I mean, this is just an amazing sight. He, he walks down, and if you can even visualize the town of Wittenberg, right? So he's walking from the university pretty much down the main street, just kind of going along probably in the early morning and then and going to the door. And it's for some people, it's fascinating. Why is he nailing something to a door? Like if you nailed something to my door, I might be rather upset at mm. you. Um, this was like the bulletin board. It was yes. like putting up something on the Starbucks or your local coffee shop's bulletin board. Everyone did this kind of stuff. It's, you know, probably next to the, you know, lost dog or sheep or yeah, whatever. He's inviting people to a debate, as was a common practice. Exactly. And so, but knowing that that All Saints Day component, that, that there are going to be so yeah, many people coming into that chapel. And thousands of people coming, again, to pay a fee to see the relics with a promise of two million years off purgatory. <laughs> And you could imagine the indulgence collectors there were probably uh, there as well, ready to take in even more revenue from those same pilgrims to even get off even more. Yeah, and you could buy a, a memento for the day as well. Um, and, and, you know, cost what Luther recognized was this was a million miles from the gospel. And yet how to uh, bring about change, how to bring about reformation. and and. You know, Luther goes through a lot of heart searching 
in that how could he be the only one to recognize that what was being done was false when everybody else in the church said he was the one that was mistaken? I think that's even, too, you you hear in the tone, at least at this this time period, uh, uh, 15, 17, and uh, and around, it, it seems in, in many of what Luther is saying, at least initially, he still can't believe, and, and you, you, post, you, you pose the idea that maybe he was a little naive, he still can't think that the Pope actually knows that this is how it's being played out. He almost wants to give the Pope and the church hierarchy an out. He, he's like, if they, if they actually knew this, they, they would be fixing it. It would, it would all be okay. It wasn't in his mind yet that this was so pervasive throughout the the church's structure that more than likely the Pope actually did know what was happening. Well, Luther was like many of the other reformers who came along. They loved the church. Mm -hmm. The church was the bride of Christ. It's what they knew. It's who they served. They were priests within that church. And, And... you have to get quite a position to believe that everything you're being told by your superiors is not in Scripture and actually not helping people on the road to eternal life and serving God and, and being who you're called to be as part of that gospel. So as all of this is, is taking place and we've got public posting, where else did invitations to this debate, which really when we think of the 95 Theses, is an invitation to a debate, to debate those particular ideas and concepts, where else do these get distributed formally? They're, they're, print, they're translated and printed very quickly. In, in the providence of God, Gutenberg has begun using uh, printing by the use of mobile type, and Luther's works are printed and, and spread across Europe with incredible speed within weeks. They're known in England and being debated there, and the Reformation, it it properly is up and running. I mean, Luther didn't bring about the Reformation. For me, he was a link in a chain that that God had been doing uh, across the history of the church. Uh, Incredible men and protesters like Wycliffe and Huss and Tyndale and others, and, and now here is Luther, a link in that chain, but now with the availability of printing, uh, his ideas and the challenge to the church are, are going to grow, go across Europe like an incredible fire. We mentioned earlier uh, Johann Tetzel and, and his <laughs> lucrative business of selling indulgences. When, when he reads this, he, he makes sure that there's a public statement in opposition to Luther, calling him an, a heretic. And then uh, Luther's friend Eck joins in uh, and, and also making sure Luther is uh, referred to as a heretic. And uh, it goes even further to say that basically he was insane. Um, and this leads to uh, eventually uh, the, the conversations and debates are going to happen later, like at Leipzig and, and, and other places where they're, they're going to debate not just this now, they're going to start debating other concepts that begin to spread in a much more uh, effective manner. So if this is just another link in the chain, as, as you're saying and suggesting, is it still a very important link that we shouldn't miss, or have we made too much of Luther's posting of the 95 Theses? I don't think it's just the 95 Theses. I think the, the Theses are a, a, are a point in the history of what God was doing. 
I, I think actually Luther's greatest contribution to the Reformation was his translation of the Bible. Right. Because Luther knew that if you tried to build a reformational change on a man, that man could be killed. He expected any day to die the death of a heretic. It was one of the biggest reasons he really didn't want to get married. But the translation of the Bible into the language of the people would make sure that the Reformation couldn't be stifled, it couldn't be crushed by the killing of people, because God's Word will always achieve that for which he sends it. So Luther, as he's uh, putting all this together, that, that scriptural trans, uh, translation doesn't come for another five years. I mean, that's, that's a pretty significant time gap. But in the middle of that, he is starting to feel the heat, and it is turning up on him significantly. Was it part of his naivete as well, even in posting this, that he didn't really think that there was going to be that much of a pushback on what he was suggesting? I don't believe that he could have envisaged what this would ignite. Um, It goes from the idea of a scholarly debate to suddenly on trial for your life. Yeah. Um, He is kidnapped and put into protective hidden custody by his uh, employer, Frederick the Wise, who really was very wise yes, to yes. recognize that, Hitler, uh, that uh, Luther's life you know, was at stake. And, and he's put into Wurtburg Castle and hidden there. He translates the New Testament. Rather rapidly. In 10 weeks, how is that possible? To translate from the original Greek into German, into a, a polished, idiomatic German, that, that really has stood the test of centuries today. It's because he had done all this exegetical work ahead of time, I, I'm just convinced. I mean, there was so much work that he had done already on large portions of the New Testament that he taught at the faculty yeah. and that he taught the students, and he had been immersed in that world that he's drawing on uh, to be able to produce that. That, to me, though, when we think through the, the Reformation, and, and especially as, it, as it's happening in Germany, I would much rather have people excited about the translation of the scriptures into uh, the vernacular than I would about the 95 Theses. But I think it's even those who were close in time saw and understood the significance of what happened there. Whether Luther intended it for it to be significant or not, irrespective, it's, this is just this is where people see that. He was courageous to do what he did on that day. Uh, he really was nailing his colors, you know, to the mast, to the post, whatever, making it uh, public um, where he was and, and what the challenge to Catholicism would be. Um, and, and the results will be, you know, kind of horrendous for him. And, and the Catholic Church would love to have burned him at the stake if they had the opportunity to do such a thing. So as we go into this week and we're looking and thinking so many times in our culture, we, we think about uh, Halloween, we think about trading candy, uh, all of those other kinds of things. My, my children get tired all the time of me uh, talking about uh, October 31st as Happy Reformation Day. Uh, they don't care for that as much. Uh, there's no candy involved right. in that one. So uh, they, they have a little bit of a, a difficulty. You should have Luther cookies or something. Luther cookies. See, I needed to do that. Like, mm. uh, just have some of those, uh, something along those lines. But as we're thinking through this, if, if some of our listeners want to read a little bit more about Luther and maybe some of the 
the context in, in which he was engaged, what would be your top choice for them to read? Um, I mean, there are um, biographies about Luther um, that are available. They they all have their strengths and, and weaknesses. Um, I enjoy surveys that talk about Luther in his context more, I think, mm-hmm. um, maybe rather than just a, a scholarly view of Luther. So I like when I I think one of my favorite biographies actually is about Heiko Obermann, uh-huh. um, Luther. Uh, the title is Luther, Man Between God and Devil. Uh-huh. And one of the things I, I like about that is it's not just about Luther, but it is about his context, mm-hmm. right? So that you're seeing that unique bringing together of the man that God has called into the moment in which he is inserted. Um, it's a it's a fascinating volume, and it and it spends a good bit of time kind of constructing uh, this this framework. Um, do you think like uh, even Roland Bainton's uh, volume would that be sufficient for someone? Yeah, Bainton is a good introduction for those who don't want to go into the the weeds of the events of the time, but want to better understand who Luther was and uh, I think his thought processes. So there you have it, listener. If you really want to dive into this, I honestly would encourage you to do so. Uh, Luther is a fascinating man uh, who God uses in his day and in his time to really transform not only a culture that surrounded him, but in a way that we still feel reverberations of even today. Look for those, uh, if you like, look for those uh, translations of the 95 Theses, again, easily accessible. Uh, online in different places, but uh, you you should be able to read some of those for yourself. It's uh, it's always fun when I read those with my students uh, in class. Thank you for joining us uh, t- today. And as you think about the things going on this week, we're always happy to have you and always happy to hear from you. If you have comments, you can uh, easily email or contact either one of uh, us, Dr. McMullen or myself. And uh, we will look forward, though, to joining you next week on This Week in Church History.